You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 99. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Hey, everybody. So we're recording this part of this on Memorial Day. Yeah. And I hope everybody is having a fantastic day. Um, It is beautiful here. I know that's probably not the case for everybody. Well, I'm just excited about the fact that it's episode 99. My lucky number is nine and it's two nines. So it's like double the amount of lucky. Mm. Yeah. Before we hop into stuff, just so everybody knows. So We're doing something a little special for episode 100. Uh, And so my question for you is, I'd like to know what your favorite podcast moment has been. We're going to do kind of a compilation and we're going to throw some of ours in there, but we would like to get some of yours as well. So the way you can do that is go to atouchofflavor.com forward slash contact and write in and let us know, hey, this is our favorite moment. And uh, it may be included on episode 100. Very special episode. Why? Why is it Just special? Just because it's three digits. Because it's 100. 100 is, is important. But why, though? Because it's a good marker. But why really, is it a better marker than... 99? Or, or 69? 108? Uh, I think just because rounded numbers make people happy. But seriously, though, we've been around for a while now and we've been able to answer your questions and put things out. And it's been really an awesome experience being able to be here for all of you. Yeah. So what else has been going on? So what's new? Uh, It's getting warm enough to hike again. Yeah. And to be able to do outdoorsy things, fun things. I really want to do a scene outdoors. But, I'm missing my outdoor scene. But we don't have camp this year. Yeah, but we have the outdoors. We can find a way. When there's a will, there's a way. So, hmm. And now I'm like, who are we getting involved in this? I don't know. I mean. <laughs> People. As I said, this is like social distancing play. <laughs> like, that mask is kinky, but it also keeps us safe. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what hoods are for. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> We had a pretty good scene yesterday. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. It was. It was pretty Uh, good. So for people, I don't know if we've talked about this. So when when baby was coming around, one of the things that we wanted to get for for that was baby monitor cameras because baby technology has significantly improved since our teenager was little. So we're like, okay, so we got some, we got, we got a baby camera and somebody had got us one and uh, as a baby shower gift and it was pretty nice, but then we did some research and I was kind of uncomfortable with the security that they had on it. So I wound up swapping it out for another 
manufacturer's thing. And then we got two cameras. So right now we have one camera that is on the baby crib, but we have another camera that a while back we decided to rename voyeur cam and leave in the bedroom for Amanda when she's in an asexual, but also voyeur mood as is not uncommon with Amanda. She actually has a camera where she can watch if she wants to. So she is super happy about that. Yeah. And so for me, it's it's been kind of interesting because I'm I'm an expositionist and I really enjoy people watching us play. Like that's one of the, the benefits of doing something like going to camp or um, going to a play party is is that feeling of knowing that folks are watching, right? Like that, that that kind of gets my rocks off. It also makes it really easy for me to orgasm. So I really enjoy the the being watched kind of thing. But the camera adds a whole different element to me. Like it's just one eye staring. It's like that creeper guy at, at play parties that stays in one spot and doesn't move, right? It's a little different than like people passing at by. At least and the camera is normally a good distance away. And you don't have to yell at it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the camera stays at least a couple feet away. Actually, generally, it stays across the room away. Yeah, but it's still kind of like the creeper guy in the corner just kind of staring at you. See, this is actually a really interesting discussion and in, in, as far as how people are different, because I personally find it less distracting to have like in that kind of tight situation, like, you know, like a bedroom to have the voyeur watching by camera than sitting right there. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm I'm saying it's it's a weird mix for me because like I like the voyeurs that are like passing voyeurs or like talking to their friends at the party voyeurs. Like I like the people across the lake voyeurs. Yeah, I like the people I know are there watching, but are not like so noticeably watching. It's off putting, and I kind of feel like the camera is like right in between that. <laughs> um, and I don't know how I feel about the camera. Like I look over and I'm like, you've been standing there too long, camera. Like you should move a little bit, um, blink something. Stop, stop staring with, with me at me with your judging one eyeball that's like sitting there. Um, I love you, but you're weird. So, and then I have to remember that like the only person who's on the other side of that is Amanda, and I was like, oh, she's just having fun. But I do feel like the camera is someone just judging me with its one eye open. So at me. I feel like this would make it creepier, but you could like get a little like Amanda wig and put it on the camera. <laughs> I feel like that then would be weird. That would get really weird. Um, that would be that would be very, very weird. Almost as weird as when I was at the hospital and, and had my little friend that I walked around with. That's a whole nother story for another <laughs> but time. Anyway, um, yes, that is that is that is a weird one. Um, no, I'm not so sure about that, but it's fun. It it definitely uh, You also can turn it and point it at the wall. Yes, which there is also that. happens. But the real creepy thing is when you move too close to it and when it picks up movement, it gets all red. So not only is it judging with its one eye, its one eye becomes red at me. So I'm still adjusting to the camera. I like the idea. I like being able to share our experience. Without necessarily sitting there. Yeah. So I like it. But that that camera though, I don't. I'm not See, sure that how works I feel well for me. I'm I'm more of the like, okay, like you want to watch and maybe join in. Cool, you being in the room is cool. It's like you're just gonna sit there and watch the whole scene, and I know it. I'm like the camera works for me at that point. I don't mind that. It's less intrusive. Yeah, I I can see that. But if you're just gonna sit and watch and masturbate, that completely changes it. It's amazing how the levels of things 
change. Versus sitting there and watching Netflix on your phone. Yes. Or having Animal Planet going with like monkeys going in the background. That that only happened that (laughs) one one time. time. But But no, you're right. You're right. It is. It is somebody sitting there watching a masturbating versus sitting there and playing on their phone. Very different feeling. Yeah. It's it's, it's, all the different elements like feel different in, in groups of people. Like people sitting and talking and like walking by and watching is different than like two people sitting down and like being three feet away from you and like not saying anything and looking directly at you and just watching. It changes it. But yeah. So I think that pretty much wraps it up for now. Yeah. Hopefully soon there will be like a little less social distancing and then we'll have more fun stories to share. We have people who are waiting. Yeah. Well, I'm waiting too. I'm waiting, waiting and waiting. <laughs> As I said, I feel like we need to do some like social distancing abductions. Like, <laughs> like, all right, wear your wear your face covering. And um, I mean, let's be honest. How much do we really need to see somebody's face when we're doing the see things that we do? Isn't the thing that I do with people's faces when we're doing those kinds of scenes? What, what I'm saying is, is I feel like we could do a pretty good job, like duct taping someone's mouth and just using other orifices. And their bodies for the things that make us happy. Like, like we I can don't just, know if that would solve the problem. I mean, we also have to cover their nose too. But I mean, like, you know, facial covers. And then they're covers. suffocating at this point. Just so you know, that's no, a whole different kind of no, scene. No, no. Duct tape on face with a covering over nose is not suffocating. It's not. As long as there's air, it's fine. It's when you duct tape both the mouth and the nose that it's a problem. I was not advocating for that. I was advocating for duct taping the mouth and putting a a little mask over top of it. And we could even make it funny and have it be like a humiliation mask that says something. So with that, we'll get back to you on that. I do want to hop in, though, because this is kind of a bit of a longer episode already. And we could talk about needing to post social distance top for a long time here. In fact, I'm pretty sure you just talked about it last episode and I probably (laughs) did too. So with that, let's go ahead and hop in. So what we have on this episode, we actually had decided, and this is something we've only done like maybe once before, I think we decided to pop into our Facebook group, do a live and allow people to submit their questions. Um, and we actually got a lot of really good questions. So we decided, you know what? We want you folks to be able to hear the answers. So let's make this into a live. So we went ahead and we did the live and now you're going to be able to tune in and listen to all the great questions and the answers to those questions. So enjoy. And again, make sure to go to a touch of forward slash contact and send in that info, send in what your favorite podcast moment has been so far. All right. All right. So Terry says, can one person, can one be poly in a relationship with a monogamous type person? And the answer is yes. You can be polyamorous in a relationship with a mono person. Um, There is all different types of formations of non-monogamy. And one of them is polymono relationships. Actually, a a fourth of our clients um, are uh, folks who one person is uh, monogamous and the other person is poly. And there's a couple ways that usually happens, right? Either you have somebody who knows that they're monogamous 
but they, th- I mean, they know they're polyamorous, but they find a monogamous person they really like. And they're like, uh, you know, I think I can make this work. And then they get a couple years in and they find out no. Or you have sometimes you've been together a long time and one person realizes, hey, this isn't for me. And, you know, I think we we actually talk about polymono relationships a lot. I think the monogamous can be kind of a misnomer because a lot of times it's polyamorous and more monogamous. So, like, maybe that's somebody who isn't okay with other romantic relationships. Maybe it's somebody who is monogamous, but they might be interested if the circumstances are right. Maybe it's somebody who's flat out monogamous, right? But we do see a, a shit ton of relationships where it's polyamorous and more monogamous, whether that's completely monogamous or more monogamous than you, uh, can vary. Now, when I see this question, and, I, and we didn't get a whole lot of background, Terry, some folks ask, you know, can someone who's poly settle and be with someone who's monogamous and stay monogamous with that person? Um, so I'm actually going to address that because I, I want to just touch on that. And the answer is, is anyone can settle, right? Anyone can be in a relationship where... Uh, they're not happy, but is that really what you want to do? Um, is that really healthy? And the answer is probably no. So just to clarify what Cassie's saying, so which means that you have to figure out then how to make that relationship work with you being non-monogamous if you want to stay in that relationship and going monogamous isn't something that's going to work for you being happy and healthy. But the answer is yes, a lot of people do it. Um, like Cassie said, we work with a ton of people who do this. Um it's not easy. It's it's actually, it's a very difficult thing to navigate because there's a lot of feelings. Generally, that means at least one person and oftentimes both people are pretty new to polyamory. So there's a lot to overcome there, but it can absolutely be done. We've helped a lot of people do it, but it is tricky. And it is something that, it's one of those situations that tends to get worse as you sit on, right? Because Once you've broached that topic and now there's this unsettled elephant in the room where we're wondering, are we compatible? You're saying you're polyamorous. I'm monogamous. Can this even work? You want to start working that through. What we see is a lot of people wind up sitting on this. It's like they have the conversation, but now they can't get anywhere, right? So they have this this elephant in the room for like six months, a year where I'm not actually doing anything because I'm the poly one, you're mono, you're thinking that you shouldn't even be with me, our relationship's suffering because of it, and we just keep letting it drag on, instead of deciding, hey, we're going to try and make this work, or no, we're going to decide that this isn't workable. Most of the time it can work, though, with the right help. Also, we have an entire actual live that we've done on this. We'll make sure that we link that in the show notes, because the show notes, (laughs) we link that in the description here. Uh, after this is over, because you should definitely watch that. All right, next question, Cassie. Podcast much? I podcast much. Yeah, so I'm not actually going to necessarily do all of these in order, because we had somebody who followed up on, you know, how do I talk to, and since it's so similar, why don't we we go from there? Okay, let's do it. All right, so uh, how do I talk to my mono partner about being poly without making him feel inadequate? And I forgot you could do that. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's from Julie. All right. Go, Cass. <laughs> um, so the big thing with this is, you know, when you're bringing this conversation to the table, you want to make it about what you're interested in, what could be exciting and fun for your relationship versus 
talking about your partner not meeting your needs. Now, we all get into this conversation where it's like, nobody can meet all of our needs. That's the polyamorous way. That's just the truth. That is not a conversation you want to have when you're talking to your partner about non-monogamy and wanting to open that up, right? You don't want to say to your partner, oh, well, you can't meet all of my needs. This is why I want to be polyamorous. So you want to talk more about, you know, it being something that you want and that you desire and that it doesn't have to do with them as a person and let them know that, like do it with care and love and be ready for a reaction that might not be a good one. You know, be ready to be a support person when you come out and say those things. Yeah, there's a couple of things with this. So a big part of it is like Cassie's saying is how it's said, bringing it up in an argument, bringing it up in the bedroom when sex isn't going well, you know, bringing it up as part of like, I'm unsatisfied sexually, you know, these, these aren't great ways to bring this up. So a big part of it's the how and the how of going and, you know, and this is one of those conversations. So I used to, um, one, one of the things that an old job I used to have is I used to have to go tell people that one of their loved ones had passed away. And there's never a great way or a great time to do it. There's better ways and better times, but there's never a good one. It always sucks, right? This is always going to suck, bringing this up to somebody who is hardcore mono, unless it's that rare circumstance where they're like, holy shit, this is amazing. Occasionally you'll get that. But most of the time, there's never going to be a great time to bring it up. So you want to bring it up rather than sitting on it forever. And like I said, you don't want to bring it up during an argument, during sex. Uh, particularly if something went wrong. Yeah, particularly if something went wrong. I was going to say there's a couple caveats to that, right? At Thanksgiving dinner with your family. Like, so timing's important, right? Better to bring it up actually at a time when you're getting along okay, if possible. Um, and then the how really is, hey, um, you know, you've actually talked to more people about this than me. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, it's good. It's good to come from a place of like, this is, you know, something I think that I need or I know that I need depending on where you're at with it, right? And I know that this might be scary. I know that this might be this, you know, so validate the feelings that your partner may have and, you know, say, although that is, you know, what I want and need, you know, these are the great things about our relationship, right? These are the things, whether it's, you know, how we talk together, our sex life's great, you know, we are best friends, whatever, you know, fill that in for yourself. You know, these are the great things about us. I want to keep that intact and I'd like us to work on this as a team, you know, and, you know, let me know what your feelings are and open it up to hear from them, you know, open it up so that way you can hear what they're scared about, what they're fearing, uh, what's going on with them as far as, uh, you know, maybe this is something they wanted to try. Maybe this is something that they didn't even know was a possibility to have the conversation. So open it up for you know, to hear what your, what your partner has to say. And last thing that I'll put in here, in that moment, what your partner wants or what they need the most is to know that this isn't about you trying to replace them. This isn't about them not being a good fit, right? This isn't about you wanting to spend less time with them. Like they need to know in that moment that this is something that you want because this is part of who you are and you feel it will add to, but that you want your relationship to be as strong as possible. You know, when I'm talking to people who are navigating this transition who need help, you know, I tell them like, look, like it's not just that we want to get you through this transition of opening your relationship, but we want to get you to as strong as possible at the same time, right? Not as strong as possible because you're becoming non-monogamous, but as strong as possible because that security 
is going to make both of you feel better through this process and you have that opportunity, right? So you want to tell them like, look, I don't, I, I want us to have a great relationship. I want our relationship to be amazing too. I'm not looking to replace you. They need to hear that in that moment. And so do that. And then the second part of that, and this isn't really in your question, but if you do that, you know, give them, give them a little time to process. And then you go back to actually talking about the how and the how doesn't go well. And it usually doesn't unless occasionally, sometimes it does. Many times it doesn't. Don't let this become something that is sitting. Like you need to get this sorted out in some fashion, whether it's you're deciding not to do it, you're deciding to do it and you're making steps or you need to get help to move you through that process. Because like I said, one thing that we see a lot that is toxic is we sit on this for six months to a year. It bleeds over into everything else in our relationship, right? And now it's not just we're trying to navigate polyamory, but we're trying like opening our relationship, but we're having to piece back our connection that's fallen apart in the meantime because we spent the last year arguing or getting resentful that we're not moving towards this or getting resentful that our partner wants this or feeling like we're probably not gonna be able to stay together. So we're disengaging, right? So that'd be the second thing I'd say to this is don't sit on this. Once you bring it up, let them sit on it, then have a go at talking about it. And then if it's clear that you two are not making progress, do not sit on that for more than a couple of weeks, like get some help before it becomes a big thing. Okay. For folks getting on, uh, if you were, we're doing a little bit of an ask us anything, really ask a relationship coach a question, but we'll answer anything. I think nothing's come up yet that we won't answer. So, uh, post it in the comments. And if you're in the Facebook group, be aware that if you don't give us permission, we can't see who you are when you're asking the question. Okay. What is a lovership? That's Steven. I don't know. I haven't heard that before. Have you? Um, it's, I've had it used in different ways, so I don't want to say that I'm, you know, particularly um, familiar with it, but it is it is more of like a group of friends that help support each other, have relationships, sexual relationships, but it's not necessarily considered like a uh, romantic relationship, like what you would, ro- traditional romantic relationship, like relationship escalator looking. Okay. Um, that's my understanding. I've seen it used a couple different ways. It's one of those terms that isn't used very often and the people who do use it all use it differently. Um, but I'm pretty sure it means, um, you know, relationships where, uh, it's not necessarily your traditional, uh, relationship escalator which really can be applied to a lot of polyamorous relationships, right? Which, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull up your next question, Stephen, which is, um, in addition to being polyamorous, could you be in a lovership instead of a relationship? I'm just going to answer this. Your relationships can look like whatever you want them to. However, you're defining lovership and however you're defining polyamorous at the end of the day, as long as everybody's happy and healthy and everybody in the relationships agreeing to it, go for it. Like there's not a right or a wrong way, as long as those two things are true. So I think that is the answer to your question. So if whatever you would define as being in a lovership, somebody's like, that sounds amazing. Let's do that. Then do it. That's fine. Uh, all right. Christina, how do you deal with jealousy? Can I hop into this? Go ahead. All right. This is a fantastic question. I love this. Um, 
I jealousy is one is, is something that I really love to talk about. Partially because so many people get this wrong when they're talking about jealousy and how to solve jealousy, right? Kind of the standard advice on jealousy that you get is, oh, just realize that, well, sometimes you just get, oh, you're polyamorous, you shouldn't be jealous, and that's fucking helpful. But a lot of times you get this this thing of, oh, just, you know, figure out all the reasons that you shouldn't be jealous, and then you won't be jealous. And like none of magic. that, it, it all sucks. Like the, the, the advice around jealousy just sucks so much, which is why I love talking about this. Jealousy, one of the biggest things that people run into when they're polyamorous, right? And one of the reasons this is such a big problem is because there's two parts to this. And generally, people only approach one, right? And if you've been around long enough, you've heard me talk about internal versus external problems. And jealousy is the big example of this. What do I mean by that? The problem is this, when we're talking about jealousy, it's super easy for me to be like, oh, I'm polyamorous. I shouldn't be jealous. Here's 12 reasons I shouldn't be jealous, right? And here's a bunch of reasons my partner loves me. And that's all dandy. Here's the problem though. If, let's just give an example. Let's say that I've been telling you for six years that we don't get enough time together. And now you're dating somebody new. And you've been telling me for six years, oh, I have no time. I'm super busy at my job. I ain't got no time. Like, really, I'm giving you everything I can. Okay. But now all of a sudden, you're dating this other person, and you're finding all kinds of time to spend with them, right? Or I'll give you another example. We see this a lot. We haven't had romance in our relationship in a long time, and that's something I'm already unhappy about. And now, I'm watching you with somebody else, and... You've told me, oh, I don't like, I don't like touching people, right? But now you're watching me do it all the time with somebody else. Or there's, there's a million of these examples, right? You can also look at this with trust. Like, oh, I shouldn't be jealous. But meanwhile, you know, I'm telling myself that. But meanwhile, you know, you're dating this person and you've broken my trust with this person three times before. Here's the problem. When we don't fix the external causes, agreements are a big, big part of this, right? Or like we have really ambiguous agreements to where I'm not getting my needs met. When we don't address those external causes, it becomes almost impossible to work on just our feelings. Because the problem is there are really good reasons for why we're feeling jealous. There's really good reasons for why we're feeling lost or we're feeling angry or we're feeling untrusting, right? And, and as important as it is to tackle our feelings, it's almost impossible to do that when there's actual things, actual real changes that need to be made. And that's really this internal versus external thing, right? Internal is changes I need to make in myself and external is changes that need to be made to the relationship, usually in our agreements, right? So how do you deal with jealousy? Number one, you have to fix whatever's actually going on that's unresolved as far as those real external problems, right? You need to make better agreements around those things. You need to start getting some of your time needs met. You need to trust your partner, like know that your partner is going to be trustworthy with the person they're with, right? You need to be getting your needs for connection and intimacy met. That's, that's step one. And then you can go to work on your beliefs around why you're important, around why you're still 
a vital person to your partner about why this person being prettier than you or better in bed than you or more successful than you doesn't affect your partner's love for you, right? Go ahead, Cassie. I could go on about this for a long time. And then you can also work on things like what you need to do for yourself when your partner's not home and what you need to do as far as your care and et cetera, et cetera. You can work on all the things after that, right? But it doesn't matter how much self-care you do if there's things in your relationship that are hurting and aren't getting fixed, right? doesn't matter how much self-care, how many boxes of chocolate or baths you give yourself. If your partner is lying to you or there isn't trust or there isn't, you know, good intimacy, you know, those chocolates in that bath isn't going to fix the problem is basically what you're saying. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to wrap that up. We did a whole nother live on jealousy, uh, live slash podcast. And again, we'll link it in the, the relevant places because if this is something that you're thinking about, you should definitely watch that. Terry, are we buying Bitcoin? No. Shana, I'm sorry to hear that. Shana's saying that she just broke up with her triad of three years. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Shana, I'm gonna um I'm gonna shoot you a PM. All right, check check your your box for that. I'm, I'll shoot you a PM when this is done. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. This is one of the people from the Facebook group who we can't see. Facebook user. <laughs> How do you recommend separating and compartmentalizing each partner? Sometimes they don't want to hear about the other, but they are aware. Do you recommend a primary in most poly scenarios? So this is really two questions. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want to start with? Let's start with the first one. Okay. Um, you want to start with that or you want me to? I'll start with it. Go. So how do you re- recommend separating? I'm going to move this. This is too big. It's covering our faces. <laughs> the thing with, with this is... It's not going to be a recommendation for you, right? Like every, or for everybody, it's going to be for you, right? When it comes to how our relationships intersect, right? That's really up to you and your partners. And I know that's not a very helpful, you know, out the gate answer, but what are you comfortable with, right? First, like what is it that you you want to see happen? And if your partners don't want to interact, then don't have them interact, right? It really comes down to, you know, obviously each relationship needs its own space and time and energy and some separation so that way you can interact. And that's like any relationship. Every relationship needs its own time to form and be uh, as, you know, in a position of thriving as possible. It needs some time and space by itself. But that's really going to come down to, well, how do you how do you feel? How does your partners feel? How do they want to interact? Um, and then coming to a place of agreement from there. Yeah, you know, this is one of those things where a lot of people get on hung up on like there's a specific way to do this, right? Um, like, and a lot of people, where, where a lot of people get hung up on this. Two areas. Number one is this ideal. A lot of people have this ideal of kitchen table poly. Kitchen table poly is great if that's what you're into, right? And if that's what you're partners are into. But a lot of times we get hung up and trying to force a situation that other people aren't really up for, right? So if your partners don't want to interact, they don't have to fucking interact. (laughs) So one place people get caught up is thinking that their partners should all, you know, especially a lot of people who are newer to polyamory, but really everybody are like, I want this kitchen table poly situation. And that's fantastic when it works. But a lot of the times it doesn't work. A lot of the times our partners are either too different to get along or too similar to get along. 
And when that's the case, you can have kitchen table poly and try and force that and be in a shitty situation, or you can have your partners have the relationship what it is and be happy, right? So that's one area people get hung up on. The other, and this is, I think, maybe more what you're asking, is sometimes they want to hear about the, they don't want to hear about. And the question, I think the answer to this is, everybody wants, has a different level of information that they want shared about their metamors, right? Two things to keep in mind. Number one, everybody should know what they need to know to be safe. That should be non-negotiable. Risk levels, etc. Yeah, people should need to know what they need to evaluate their risk levels, evaluate things for their safety with their own body. Second point of this is you have to take whoever is not in the conversation into mind when you're thinking about this too. Here's what I mean by this. Cassie and I are a couple. I have another partner. Cassie really, really wants to know about all the dirty details of what I do with this person. Maybe it turns her on. And that's all dandy. But does this other person want me sharing like these lurid stories of everything that we're doing in bed? A lot of times people forget that and especially if we're like a married couple. So you need to make sure that you're considering the privacy of everybody involved in that discussion. Past that, it's whatever people want to know. I'm going to answer this next question, but folks, just for people who may have just got on, we're doing an ask a relationship coaster question thing. We haven't done this in a while, especially live. Might be a while before we do it again. Post your questions in the comments if you have them. Do we recommend a primary in most poly scenarios? Language is tricky. Language is tricky. I think it has been our experience. First off, I don't really like the... We used to use the language primary. I don't use that much anymore purely because it's something that everybody defines differently. I tend to use nesting now. I also like anchor. I like anchor anchor partners. I know you're not as fond. I like anchor. Like anchor in your life. And it's funny because I'm not fond, but that's how he would define our relationship. Yeah. So I use nesting because <laughs> it's, it's, it's better for Cassie, right? Here's what I'll say. You can define however you define. Just make sure everybody who's involved in that relationship is on the same page about what primary or secondary or anchor or nesting or whatever means. Here's, I think, a better question, maybe the question that you're really asking, Facebook user, is I think that generally you always have one relationship and sometimes that relationship has multiple people that takes the focus, the main portion of your time and your energy and your commitment and that you prioritize when you're making your decisions. I think that most people who have long-term successful poly relationships have that in some fashion, no matter how much they love their other partners, no matter how much they, again, it may be multiple people involved in that group, but they have an idea, essentially what it comes down to when you're talking about longevity, they have an idea of where priority is going when that becomes necessary. And I think that when everybody's on the same page about where that is, whatever that looks like, that that's when you see poly relationships tend to last long term. And like I said, it may have multiple people, right? For us, it's our nesting group. It's me, Cassie, and Amanda. That is our primary relationship. But for a better better term, that's where the bulk of the time and the effort is going to go, especially when I have to make decisions about those things.
Go ahead. Can I chime in a little bit? Please. And I know this is a little is, controversial, folks. Yeah. So, and the thing that I, I, I like to, to express about this is having a place where you prioritize time and energy doesn't mean mistreating another relationship. Mm. Those are two different things. We're giving power or, over that relationship. I was, I was going there, yeah. Or giving power because this relationship. What we're saying is, is that there's usually a relationship. And, you know, I can take this away from even partners. Some people have kids and that is their primary relationship, right? That is where the majority of their time, their energy, their money goes. Everybody has, you know, a relationship, depending on how many people are in it, but a place where the majority of their time and energy goes. And when it comes down to making, you know, prioritizing, you know, decisions, whether it's financial, things like that, that 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 relationship tends to take precedence within reason, right? Within reason. Yeah. So it doesn't mean mistreating another relationship. It doesn't mean giving a relationship say over another one, right? Or as, which is now the way a lot of people are defining hierarchy. That's another definition that's changed a lot. Um, but it doesn't mean giving a relationship power over somebody who's not involved in it. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that that doesn't change. Maybe more people come into this main group. Maybe more people leave. Maybe another relationship becomes my main one at some point. But everybody always having a clear idea of where that line is, right, of which relationship is going to take priority when those decisions have to be made is what we've seen as a trait in relationships that have lasted long term. When nobody really has an idea where they stand and nobody knows what's going to happen when the chips fall down, those are relationships that tend to be shorter. So that's my two cents. One more little thing. And the thing is, is that priority can also change depending on the relationship. So my nesting partnership may have the priority of finances and house stuff and and kids and et cetera, et cetera. But I may have a power exchange relationship that debunks the power exchange stuff we do. Mm. So like I may have another partner where what they say in a power exchange goes over top of the power exchange here. But the stuff that goes on here as far as kids and stuff debunks the power exchange, right? There may be multi-levels to this, you, but it's people knowing where those things fall. Or you may have a nesting relationship where your main romantic relationship isn't part of that nesting relationship. So just some thoughts, folks, but kind of the moral is have everybody in the relationship should have an idea of where they stand. That's really, really important to the longevity of relationships when they're poly, all right? All right, you want to read this last one here? All right, Michael, is it okay to suggest polyamory to someone that is in a mono relationship? This is one I wish we had a hair more insight on. Michael, if you're still there, could you just, could you maybe give a sentence or two more of clarification here? Because this could mean a few different things. Is this like, you're in a mono relationship, but it seems to me you both might want to be poly, and I'm going to you and saying, hey, you both not going to be poly? Or is this saying like, hey, we're in a mono relationship, and you're coming to me and going, hey, I think I think maybe you should be poly and we should do stuff together. Like, what what does this mean? Or I'll, I'll take it outside of those two extremes. Or it is, I see that you're in a relationship, but I find that you're attractive and awesome. And I'd like to ask if you, you know, are interested in opening up your relationship, et cetera, et cetera. So you're not stepping on toes. So, Mike, I'm going to give you like two minutes to specify this or we're just going to answer whatever we think you're asking. (laughs) Christina, thank you. We are awesome. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you. You are awesome too, Christina. (laughs) I appreciate you and I appreciate that. 
It's actually great hopping on with you folks tonight. We may have to do this a little more often. I think we're going to answer what we think the question is. So, which way do you want to take it? I ah okay. Hold on, wait. We got clarification. Let's say you met somebody you enjoy spending time with, but they're already involved in a mono relationship. Awesome, thank you. I was right. I win. Ding ding ding. All right, go ahead. Okay, here's the thing. You can ask for anything, right? It's a lot of how you're asking, and is that person in a place where they've given you any inclination that that is something that they would want to hear? And what I mean by this is, you know, if you're going to work and your coworker sitting there and she's reading her Bible and she just told you that she, uh, you know, is really happy that her friend is getting married and finally settling down, it may not be the person to walk up to and be like, hey, I find you really awesome. I know that you're in a relationship. Maybe you should try Polly. But if you met somebody and you're friendly with them, you know that at least they're open minded to, you know, alternative lifestyles, things like that, bringing it up and saying, you know, I I don't know if this is and leave it in a space of I don't know if this is something you've ever considered. I don't know if this is something that you would ever be open to, but I'm interested in you, right? Can I interject here? Go ahead. So this is really weird because usually when it comes to like picking people up, I'm like, just go with whatever Cass says. I actually get, will give a little bit of different advice here. Okay. That is an option, and it's maybe something I do if they're showing some clear interest in me. And, and what's really fun yeah. is when they show clear interest in you, and then you tell them you're poly, and then they aren't interested anymore because that's weird. That's always great. But um, I would approach this more, unless it's pretty clear they're interested or you think that maybe they are poly, I think before bringing up that, like, you know, hey, I think that I might, you know, I find you attractive and I'd be interested in this to somebody who you have a friendship with and that may weird them out and you don't want to lose it or it's like a coworker and you don't want to like maybe just bring up the topic of polyamory first. Bring up that you're polyamorous, get a feel for how they react to that revelation and then maybe take your cues from there instead of just coming right out with like, hey, I know you're married. And I know you probably never heard of non-monogamy before, but... Uh, so maybe I didn't explain what I was saying very well. Because what I was saying, and that's why I said, if, it, if, if there seems like there was an invitation, like the person was being flirty with you, or maybe they're part of, you know, maybe they're part of the kink community, but they're in a monogamous relationship, or that's what you know, right? Like, if there has been some some openness there where it seems like there's a, a doorway, then Yes. So if I wasn't clear on that, by your answer, it does not sound like I was clear on that. So I'm glad that. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So no. So yeah. So I think that's the answer. A great question, Michael. That's actually really good. But yeah, just that I, I would not approach it that way. Like if it's somebody who hasn't given you clear signals, I'd more approach polyamory as a general thing first and see what kind of reaction you get. OK, let's do another one. New to Polly here. Can you explain nesting in more detail? Yeah, yeah. really simple. Um, nesting is just people that you live with. That's your nesting relationship. You share a house. A lot of times you share finances, right? Nesting, you know, like. Like birds. Birds. Sweet. Empty nesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. That's simple. <laughs> just people you live with. Just, since you may or may not be married to the people you live with, you may have other partners who you're not living with. You may. It just clears it up. So like when I say this is my nesting group, the three of us live together. You know, we share finances, we share kids. Yeah. Okay. Anything else with that? Nope. All right. 
I'm hoping this is Michaela or I just botched your name and I apologize. How do you go about asking a third into your relationship? Cassie. So we actually do a lot of stuff around this and we have, um, you know, podcasts on it and we'll, we'll make sure that we we link to it. But in short, well, first off, don't call him a third. Um, <laughs> for a lot of folks, that's very, very insulting to be a third. Um, you don't call your first partner your second or your number one, right? You start getting into that kind of stuff. So when you're looking for a third, right, and I'm putting up air quotes here, and you're looking for somebody to be in your relationship or to join you as a couple, the first thing is, is just get to know the person. See if that person actually lines up with the two of you. Like, hang out with the person, be around the person, be a person first, um, and see if there's a natural connection before even bringing up, like, hey, date us, right? Unless you're on, like, a dating site and this is something that you're doing up front. But if it's somebody that you've met before, um, it's somebody that you ha- you know are friendships, a friendship with, see if there is actually a natural relationship first before being like, hey, you've got to date both of us. If you are looking for a third partner, right, and you're looking for that and you're going on dating sites, be open and honest about it. Don't do the whole like switcheroo, like I'm a lesbian looking for another woman and then, oh, by the way, now you got to date my partner. Be upfront. There are plenty of people who are interested in that. But what you want to do is be very clear about what you're offering and what you're not offering. Go ahead. So if there's one piece of advice I could give to people who are looking for group dynamics. So something to understand, we've dated in group dynamics a lot. Our group, our our current group has dated people, right? Um, We've dated a lot of people as a couple. If there's one thing I think that people really need to be aware of, and it's where a lot of the failings come in here, and it's where a lot of that whole – somebody just posted about toxic unicorn hunting. It's where a lot of that toxic unicorn hunting behaviors and that perception of of unicorn hunters and it comes in, right? Two things. Number one, and they're, they're, they're really kind of related. You're dating a person, you're not dating a thing. And I'm not saying that you think this, right? I'm just, I'm just, when you're looking to date somebody, you're looking to date a person. You're not looking to date a thing, right? And it's really important to understand it is okay to go into a relationship to look for a partner with the idea that you would really like to date as a group. Right. For a lot of people, they find group relationships more fulfilling. Um, You know, I personally, I'm a big fan of group relationships for a lot of reasons. Main one being it lets you put your time and effort into one spot while interacting with a lot of people. So it's okay to go into a relationship, like go into dating, being like, hey, like we'd ideally like to be in a group relationship. But it's very, very important to understand. And this goes back to it's a person, not a thing that when you're talking about a relationship and you're talking about people, right? Those things are going to grow as they grow and evolve as they evolve. And you're there, you're going to wind up and you're definitely going to wind up in a situation where one person is going to connect more with this person. You're possibly going to wind up in a situation where after a while, this person's only interested in one of you as a romantic partner or where they're maybe interested in both of you, but way more interested in one person, right? And if you're not open to that happening, this is a very fraught path in terms of dating this way because 
if you're going to give somebody the boot as soon as they don't slot into exactly what you're looking for, you run into that whole treating people like things territory, right? So you really have to go into this with, you can go into it with an intention of dating together, but an understanding that relationships are going to shape up to be whatever they shape up to be. And you're throwing yourself into that. And if you're not okay with that, it's something that you really want to think about ahead of time. Go ahead. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, knowing exactly what you're offering and what you're looking for. And this goes down to things like if what you're looking for is just, you know, a sex buddy, is just a, a fuck buddy, there's a lot of people who are looking for that. There are a lot of people who are open to that sort of thing. But you want to be, you know, upfront about that. You want to be upfront about this is what kind of relationship I'm looking for. And then when you're looking at what you're offering versus what you want in return, there has to be some sort of sense of things being fair, right? You want to look at things from the standpoint of, would I ever expect anybody to do this outside of this person that I'm asking to do it because we're a couple, right? Things like, I don't want you to date anybody else, but you can only see us one day a week. And you can only have sex with us if both of us are in the room, but we can have sex whenever we want, right? So you want to definitely look at what you're offering before um, before really diving into it. I think that's um, – we'll link to some resources again in the in that we've got a lot of resources on this. But it's funny. Everybody talks about unicorns, right? And when you treat people like people, it's not hard to find people who are willing to date in a group dynamic. But again, you have to be open to the fact that that may not – wind up being what you look like and the people being important enough to not just give them the boot when that becomes the case. And I, I don't I don't know any other way to say it very quickly and simply besides that. You, Cassie? No, nope, that's, that's about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, great, great question. And I hope I didn't bot your name. I really hope it is Michaela. Otherwise, <laughs> I feel bad and I'm sorry. And Michaela, I see some of the other stuff you're posting. That's like a specific, more of a specific issue rather than a general one. And um, I mean, I can address it as a question, like, like as far as, you know, somebody waking up to a couple having sex and not liking that, like this all gets down to agreements. Yeah. That all gets down to agreements. Um, but we'll, we can address that a little more in the comments as far as that goes. Uh, okay, Cassie. All right, Facebook user, tips for a first poly kink breakup. So... You look like you had something to say. Oh, no. I just like first breakup ever. First breakup that was poly and kinky. I'm going to guess that one. That, I'm going to guess first poly kinky breakup. And honestly, if it was first breakup, I would give the same answer. Anytime someone is our first. Oof. That's hard. That's rough. Um, when breakups happen, that hurts. That's oof. Um, so, you know, when it is your first, the the big thing is going to be making sure that you do a lot of good self-care and upkeep for yourself. Um, that is that is going to be, you know, whether you are the breakup E or the breakup er in that situation, it's it's going to be hard. Even if you're the person who was like, the relationship is done, I, I needed to walk away, it's a rough spot. So make sure that you're taking care of yourself and doing that in a way that is productive 
A lot of folks, when when we break up, we're like, okay, let's go out and have some drinks. Maybe once. Don't do it a bunch, right? You know, so doing things that you know are going to help you be better in other areas of your life rather than, you know, sitting and focusing on it. The other thing is, is this is a good time to reach out. And I'm not necessarily saying reach out to bitch and complain to your friends or things like that, but a good time to reach out and make connections with other people. You know, if, if you're polyamorous, you know, maybe maybe spend some time with your partner. Um, if you're kinky, you know, go out and, and have some fun um, with your, you know, other kink playmates and things like that, um, or embellish other friendships and family, things like that. But because it is your first, it's going to hurt. So, you know, get that support of being with others. You know, one of the things with breakups is it's really hard to move past a breakup when you're sitting and dwelling on it and when you're isolating yourself and you're missing that big thing even more. So that would be the main thing. Um, We actually have an entire podcast on breaking up polyamorous and, you know, it'll apply to being kinky. But, um, you know, we really walk you through the process of, you know, how do you handle it? What do you look at? And if you didn't want to break up, transitioning it into something else. So there's a couple things. Uh, I'm going to be very brief. I think Cassie covered most of this. You know, one thing to recognize that this being your first poly kink breakup is that one of the nice things about I mean, you can do it in the mono world, but you see it a lot more in the poly world is is these relationships do have a chance to transition to something else. So a couple tips. Number one, when it just happened and you're sad and you're pissy and you're upset, and you're hurt. Try not to slam the door on anything in the future by reacting emotionally in a way that you're going to regret later. That's one thing. I just talked to somebody about this the other day, actually. I had to talk through a breakup. They waited a little little too long to get on the phone. Second thing, give it some time, right? Even the most poly of us, right? Even the, the most, even those of us who, even, you know, maybe who knew, you know, I've dated people who didn't know if poly was going to work for them, right? And it was a 100% amicable, hey, like, we, we knew this may not work, okay? It isn't working great, like, Let's be friends. Even with that, usually there's a bit of a trade. Usually you need some time, right? So really what I'm saying is don't do anything you're going to regret. Give it some time and then evaluate what you want that relationship to look like and what it could be and see about transitioning it if that's something that you want to do. And that would be my advice. Okay. And we can also link the the breakup episode. Yeah. Asia. Hey there, dear. All right. So Asia, I'm not going to put this up. I'm not even going to have a face left, (laughs) but we will answer it for you. You don't want to put it up for like two seconds? (laughs) Yeah, no. Okay. It's only our eyes. It's only our eyes. (laughs) All right. Asia, my female partner wants to get married, but wants a mono marriage. Currently, we have somebody we share as an F buddy. Appreciate that. Here and there. I want the marriage in my partner, but I'm afraid the desire to want a threesome with another woman will creep up and cause issues. I've expressed that with my partner, and she understands, but she really doesn't want to if we get married. Uh, She's worth it, but desires creep up. So, dot, dot, dot. So, Asia. So, a few things. Number one, 
So we, we know a little bit more about your situation than we do a lot of people's, right? <laughs> I'm saying this because I love you. You had a bad breakup not too long ago. I would just consider the marriage talk now, period, as maybe maybe a little bit of a rush. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. End, and I'm actually answering the question, but I didn't <laughs> want to put that out there. Okay, go ahead. It's a little Kat. early. Well, maybe maybe a little, a little early. early. For that um, discussion. You're, you're, and you're, you're still within that rebound window. Yeah. And we're only saying that because we love you. But beyond that, in the future, doing future talk, right? Because we're going to talk about this as a future talk. We don't want to set ourselves up for failure. And what I mean by that is if we know something is going to be a problem, not it might be a problem, but there's probably a chance because that's who I am and that's what I need. Those are the decisions that you should be basing things off of. And if that's going to ruin a marriage or ruin a long-term relationship, that's something that should be out in the open before it is already something that has been established. Something like a marriage and then having to deal with the repercussions of it later is really hard. You have an opportunity that a lot of people don't have. And that is knowing what you need and want now versus after things like marriage happen because that's that's when it really is difficult right is is we've we went into this agreement under false pe- pretenses so if there's something that you know that you're going to need right that needs to be an honest conversation and a decision of can this relationship go forward looking you know a certain way because there's probably a good chance that that's how that's going to look yeah, Asia. So here's the thing. You you have, as Cassie said, the benefit that you've been poly long enough that you know, and I actually don't 100% know the answer to this, but you know whether or not this is something that you're going to be able, or you at least have a pretty good idea, whether or not this is something that you will be able to be happy with if you let that part of your life go. And if the answer to that is no, or even probably no, it's better to have this conversation now. This is something that I need. Is this something we're going to be able to make work? than it is to have it after you've been married for four years, you build a life together, you're resentful because you've been stuffing yourself in the closet for that long. That's already taken a toll on your relationship and and it's that much harder, right? So the question for you, Asia, is really simple. It's do you think that this is something that you'll be okay letting go or do you think it's something that you're probably going to need in order to be happy and fulfilled and not resentful? Because if it's the second one of those things, then you should have that discussion sooner rather than later. Anything yep. else? Nope. That's, very that's happy really to it. see that you're doing better, though. Yeah. Very, very much. You've hopped up on the last couple of these lives, and it's fantastic to see you. I'm really happy you're doing better, and you seem happier, and it's, it's great to see that. So that's fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Before Polly, I would have said motto all the way, but she opened the three girl threesome tour and I can't get enough. <laughs> hey, so this isn't your first Polly rodeo, at least, right? So um, you, you need to ask yourself that honestly, right? <laughs> okay, Asia. Uh, and real quick, I'll add one little thing. And maybe the answer is that you're up front and say, this is something that I don't know if I'm okay closing the door on. Maybe that is the honesty, like, um, and being very upfront about that. Like, there's a good chance that this may never change if that is the case. Even if you don't know, it's better to side on the 
end of it's still a possibility than to give the impression that it could be cut off easily. All right. Maya, if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, send me a phonetic spelling just so I don't do it again. Put it in the comments, okay? So Maya, in a breakup, hold on, let me get my head above this here. If the other party acts impulsively, slams the door shut, lights the bridge on fire, and then screams insult into the universe, that's really specific. Any tips for navigating having to share community space with them? Go ahead. So the... uh, Maya, awesome, got it right. Boom, (laughs) score, first time. The first thing is, is like, do you feel unsafe? Like, if if this is a situation where you're actually feeling unsafe, that there could be unsafe things that happen, you want to talk to your community about how you can go about not sharing space with that person. Now, if it was a temper tantrum and a breakup, which happens, right, and it's not any kind of endangerment to you, this is going to come down to how can you be in the same place with this person but not interact, right? And, and a lot of this is going to come down to being civil with, you know, that person while they're around. You know, a lot of times the way we act is the way that the other person is going to act back to us. Um, so going into it with the I'm not going to hang around you or be around you, but I'm not going to make it a thing. Don't go to your community members and being like, you know, wah, 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 we broke up. They did all these things. They burned bridges, wah, 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 right? When we bring drama... It adds drama. The people that we're interacting with bring more drama. So the best way to kind of interact within your community with somebody that you broke up with is treat them like somebody that you used to know, right? Like, like I mean, that's... Like, we're not all going to have to go listen to that song, now. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, but, but seriously, like, it, it, a lot of times, especially in the poly community, we are all interacting with people we broke up with. And... Even folks that we become friends with afterwards, our breakups a lot of times don't go nicely, right? People yell, people scream, people slam doors, people have breakdowns. But a lot of times people come back around to being normal people again. And giving that opportunity of just, I'm here, you're here. Let's just tolerate each other's presence and do what we would normally do if the other person wasn't around is enough. Folks, I will take one more question if it comes in by the time I'm done answering Maya, which is not going to be very long. Mm -hmm. Okay. So first off, like Cassie said, this is the reality of life in the kink world, right? Which is and in the poly world, which is they're small communities. We run into our partners again. We can't avoid them, right? A couple of things. Number one, you know, if this is recent, Maybe you don't want to be in the same space with this person. And maybe they don't want to be in the same space with you. And that can be a discussion that's worth having. Like, hey, look, I'm not going to go to this event. Are you okay not going to this event? Right? And then that takes us a month through. And then after that, we'll reevaluate and see where we're at. A lot of people do that. Um, And I don't think there's anything. We've done that. And I don't think that there's or hey, we're both going to go to this event, but like we just broke up. And can we make an agreement not to play tonight? Especially if it was like within a couple of days. Yeah. So those are fine, right? And then after that, like Cassie said, it's giving people a chance to be a human, 
right? As long as you don't feel unsafe. And pretty much after that, I would just say what Cassie said, but I just wanted to interject in there that it, it's always okay to have an agreement about who's going to what. And this isn't the only situation people have to do that, right? I know people with family members in the scene and it's like, great, we're both going to be at camp. I'm going to be over here and you're going to be over there. Or I go to events in DC and you go to events in Baltimore, or I'm going to this event. Are you going? No. Right. So that is always an okay option too. And I wanted to throw that in. All right. Last question of the night. And folks, if you have any more questions, go ahead, post them in the comments. We're going to do a Q&A podcast episode soon and we'll answer them. Okay. But this is going to be the last one we take live tonight. Y'all have been fantastic sports. Dennis, this is such a great question. How would you suggest I talk about a behavior I find embarrassing but keep tiptoeing around with my partners. I want to feel more normal about it and not feel shame. So now this is, is a great question, but if you could, you just put this up. So I'm assuming you're listening. A behavior in yourself that you find embarrassing or a behavior in one of your partners that you find embarrassing? Could you just specify that real quick? Because that's going to dramatically change the answer to this question. <laughs> Those are very different questions. This is one of the nice things about doing this live, by the mm -hmm. way, is the ability to ask follow-up questions. Behavior myself. Thank you. Awesome. And you want to talk to your partners about it in hopes of helping them have you change it? Or just just real quick, why, why is it? So it's behavior in yourself. Why is it that you want to talk to your partners about it? Like, just because you know it's something they need to address. Like, you know it's something that you need to address and it's kind of an elephant in the room or... So, what I'm getting, and you can you can put in the chat if I'm, if I'm not following correctly, is that it's something that you find embarrassing and you're not entirely sure if your partners are picking up on it or not um, or if it even matters to them. But it's something you want to change. So, you know... And, and you've been tiptoeing about bringing it up. Um, so, again, if that's, uh, you know. Um, it's an elephant in my own mind. Okay. Okay. So, do you want to start? or? Well, first off, um, you don't necessarily have to bring it up to them. And I, I want to make sure we actually answer your question. But I just want to point out that if, if okay, gotcha. So, you know you're doing it. You want to address it. Because you're feeling embarrassed. There's kind of an elephant in the room. Okay, great. So first off, um, and I'll just put this out there, folks. When you have something you want to change in yourself, you don't necessarily have to talk to your partners about it. But now that we have more detail, I think this is another one of those conversations that there's not going to be an overly comfortable way to do it, right? I think it's going to be sitting down with your partners being like, look, no, it's, it's fine. I, I get the vagueness. You know, look, I have this thing. I'm uncomfortable with it, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm worried that it's impacting you too. I just want you to know that I'm working on changing it, right? And then you can go from there to if you want to ask for support, having like a specific ask, right? Like, you know, is there a way that I can lessen the impact of this on you or is there you know, would you be willing to support me? And and if you're asking for support with changing it, being very specific, already having specific ways that you're looking for support, right? So that's what I would say is sit down, have the conversation, be very specific with whatever support it is that you're asking for. Yeah. And as far as, you know, so 
I'm just going to, you know, kind of role play here for a second. But like if there's something that you, you know, want your your partner support on, right? And you're saying, uh, I did the thing, right? I would like you, and, and say this to your partner, like, if you could, you know, let me know I'm doing that. Or could you, you know, remind me not to do that? Like actually having a specific way that you're doing that. Um, and perhaps making it something where it's not that big of a deal. Um, and that's on you, right? Like, don't beat yourself up about it, especially if you're getting support from from somebody else and you're asking them to uh, remind you that you're doing it. Uh, don't turn it into something where it becomes a big deal because that's going to become more of a burden for them. And also it's, it's not really going to help you change it. Um, you know, if I was trying to stop cracking my knuckles and, you know, whatever the embarrassing behavior is, but if I'm cracking my knuckles and I want my partner support and saying, Hey, don't do that. Um, the best way to handle that would be Josh to say, hey, you're getting ready to crack your knuckles. Okay, yeah, thanks. Thanks for reminding me. And making it something like that versus a really big deal will help both your partners if they are, you know, supporting you and also you as far as like moving past it. Yeah. So um, as you said, it's a bit of a vague question. So I think that's as specific an answer as we can give you. I hope that was helpful for you. If not, feel free to reach out and talk a little bit more about it. Shoot a message into, uh, you know, the Facebook page or whatever, and uh, we can we can chat a little more, okay? All right, everybody, you have been fantastic tonight. These have been great questions. We're going to definitely have to do this more frequently than every year. I enjoyed it. I know. I hope you enjoyed your Ask a Relationship Coach a question night. <laughs> Again, fantastic questions. Yeah, that's it. All and right. It was great seeing you all. If uh, you're needing support in your relationships, you know, you can go and check out our, you know, we have a webinar and uh, I think we should put a link to that because we have a lot of poly folks on here. Okay. We will definitely do that. All right, folks, we're going to go eat some spaghetti and watch Better Call Saul with Amanda. You have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF-1. When you go into this, I'm sorry, I'm not going to have this cat meow out here anymore. One second. <laughs> Cat had to be on the podcast or the the live. All right.